Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It's time! You asked for it and you got it at BruceBuffer.com. Championship introductions at a special rate are now provided for all of you as a keepsake for life, like you are being introduced like a champion in the cage. Just go to BruceBuffer.com. Specials for championship introductions, weddings, birthdays, voicemail, and business recordings. I'm here for you if you need me. Check me out at BruceBuffer.com. From the shores of Malibu where the waves are pumping to the Great Wall of China and back to the streets of Las Vegas where the UFC is happening. We are live. This is It's Time Radio, the show we talk about what you think about but maybe afraid to voice. Do not worry. We will talk about it for you. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, politics, UFC, film, TV, you name it, we talk about it. And I'm here with my co-host and partner, TJ DeSantis. TJ, how are you? Uh, I'm good. You, your tone there. I don't know if it means I should respond or not, or if you just want to like talk to John Anik because he's already on the line. Well, you know, I always love to talk to John Anik, but let's just bring John Anik on with a proper introduction. And now our special guest, our frequent guest, my friend, my coworker, and the finest commentator in fighting sports, if not any sport today, a man who's an encyclopedia of knowledge when it comes to Sports, football, you name it. Conversation never ends with this man because he's always got something to say, and it's interesting. Let's bring on John Anik, my boy. What a great introduction and humble to be with you guys. Yeah, frequent guests, probably more accurate than special. uh, It's great to chop it up with you guys. And, uh, you know, TJ and I obviously go way back. So when I walked into the T-Mobile arena and I saw the extra round set for my guy, um, you know, it hit me in a good place because obviously if anybody has put in the time as a mixed martial arts commentator, it's my guy, TJ. So I was very happy to see that for our guy, Bruce. And I know there was ice on the floor of T-Mobile on Saturday night, but I think uh, the extra rounds crew were sitting in the coldest part of that building directly Amazing. under an air conditioning shaft. My goodness, it was not good. Let me tell you, there might have been ice on the floor, but there was fire in the octagon. Holy That's hell, a what a night of fights. Unbelievable. And I think sometimes, Bruce, for you and me, it's hard to put these cards as a whole in their proper historical context. And anytime you try to do it, like right after the show, people are going to scream recency bias. But this fight card had it all. And I will just tell you as a play by play announcer, um, some of these shows can drag over eight hours. And I'll just tell you, this one didn't feel like it dragged at all. And there were bouts, the Montefiore bout, the heavyweight bout that weren't particularly great. And yet, The night didn't feel like it dragged at all. It's great having fans back in the arena. I feel like they're louder. They're like making up for lost time per capita, per person. Um, It was a special night. Can I tell you guys just real quick, you know, I I sat on the concourse all night. I didn't have a seat in the arena, which I actually, in hindsight, 
kind of feel good about because I could hear the crowd pop in a way that was almost removed from the action. It was a more organic sort of feel that I wasn't getting caught off by like the lights and, and, and sounds of things more than just the actual emotion from the fans. And my God, when Nick Diaz made that walk, it's, it's one of the biggest pops I think I've heard in, in mixed martial arts history, honestly. That and also when I introduced him, normally I block out the audience because I'm just eye to eye with the eye of the tiger or the fighter. I could hear it, you know, the pop. You could for, feel it, right? I felt it. The pop for Nick, you know, I gave him the biggest thing I could give him at the time, but but the pop in the crowd, I mean, they love Nick Diaz, you know, and let me ask you, John and TJ, <clears throat> Dana White said he was impressed by Nick's performance. Um, we all know Nick stopped. Uh, question, did Nick stop because of the abdominal kicks? Did he stop because his nose might have been, you know, shattered or broke or was it just like i'm done let me live to fight another day how do you interpret that john there are a lot of rumblings going around and i will just say on the surface nick was de dealing with a lot of things he appeared to be in better shape six or eight weeks ago than he actually yes. was on fight night so yes i think Chief among the issues he was dealing with on the canvas in that moment was his nose. It was busted. He felt like the outcome of the fight was an eventuality that he was not going to have enough on the feet. And he kind of knew during fight week, what he was walking into a supremely conditioned Robbie Lawler. And uh, it was not an optimal training camp for Nick Diaz. Now these might sound like excuses without me able to back it up with a bunch of facts as to what he was dealing with. Um, but I expect a much better version. If he does turn this around in four or six months, I really do. Uh, I thought he had some, moments um but if i'm really analytically dissecting the performance um he looks slow and he didn't necessarily have that look in his eye you know you talk eye of the tiger for him it's that patented scowl that makes you think he really wants to hurt a man so uh you know, I don't know if he didn't like the matchup. He seemed to intimate during fight week that it came together quickly. Um, there were myriad issues for Nick Diaz. And, um, you know, I think I think the layoff can't be discounted either. Can, can I just say that I think it's a, a good first step back? You know, if he wants okay. to continue, it's a good first step back. I, I think that's the positive if you want to spin a positive out of it. It wasn't what a lot of people wanted from Nick, but it also had flashes of what made him so great back in the day. So... Good yeah. first step back, I'll say. I'm with you on that. I listen when the fighters walk in. If you notice, Johnny, from your your viewpoint, you don't see me on TV, but I don't walk in until the second fighter walks in. Uh, the first fighters walk in, then I walk into the octagon. I'm always at the at the uh, point where the referee's checking him out. I'm literally on the other side of the referee. The fighter and I are looking eye to eye. I can tell. I can see it in the eye. I've said this before on the show. I can tell when they're there and when they're not. And um, you you just said it yourself, John that the look in his eye and I didn't see that Diaz. I love Nick Diaz. I didn't see that eye of the tiger fire, you know, um, when it came in, but still when he, when it was throwing punches and bunches in the beginning and bobbing and weaving and all, Crazy but volume. Robbie was in stellar shape. Robbie came in. The strength incredibly. and condition for Lawler has been a staple of his last four fights, even though he lost the previous four, right? I mean, yeah. he's totally, rejuvenated in that Sanford MMA gym and really embracing the role of, you know, grizzled veteran, a role that a lot of people felt like a Lawler type wouldn't want to embrace that he would right. be, you know, fishing with his son, Glenn and not, you know, bringing up 
the young formative year fighters. And that's exactly what he's doing. So a lot of good things to say about Robbie Lawler. And this was the first time I can ever remember watching a Diaz brother where I wasn't convicted in my belief that they were in 25 minute shape. He didn't have the cardiovascular base to go 25 yeah. hard minutes. And when you're putting up historically crazy numbers in terms of the output, um, you know, I think he gassed a little bit and, um, you know, was going to live to fight another day, but you know, he's established so much goodwill with the fight game that like yeah. he can, he can bow out of the fight at that point in time and not take too much shit. You know, Nick Diaz can do that. Well, I saw. Sorry, just you're you're right, John. If it's not Nick Diaz, that man is booed. You know, quitting that way. That man is booed, but not Nick oh, Diaz. Yeah. Oh, no question. Nobody's even really picking up on that and making an issue of it. It's Nick Diaz, and let's just leave it at that. I saw him about four or six weeks ago when Adesanya fought, or I forget exactly when that was. And I was in the back uh, after the fight and Nick walked through and you're right, John. I mean, he looked incredible shape. I mean, 15 pounds lighter, God knows what. And he was, and I talked about this on the show and he, and when I was talking, he goes, I want him. He goes, I want to fight Adesanya. And he was making a real spectacle of himself in the back. Yeah. That was not the Nick Diaz I saw walking the octagon on Saturday night. Right. Shape wise. But I love Nick. I want to see him come back. If he wants to come back, it's all about, does he want to come back? And that's the thing, too. There's money fights there. Like, I know he's always going to throw out guys like Izzy or uh, Usman. You know, maybe we get a rubber match with Robbie. I don't necessarily need to see it. But if, if Nick wants to fight, like, the idea of Nick making a run at a championship or anything like that, stop it. Like, that's not a thing. But Nick making, you know, really fine co-main event type money fights or, or main event on, you know, uh, you know the, the odd uh, big uh, pay-per-view shot or, or UFC on ESPN type show all day long. I'm all for it. Let's go forward here because we only have so much time with John today. I'm, I'm agreeing with all you guys. Today's actually one of the few instances where I have a bunch of time for you. So just so you know, my next media hit is not for 43 minutes so we got you for the show because i got some pretty interesting shit I to have, talk about I, here one, uh at 10 25 a.m pacific is my heart out so that's uh, my heart out too i've got a i've got an interview with europe at 10 30 so we're <laughs> good to cut go me anytime if the content gets stale tj you you can just cut me out of the no, no. Did, do you just hear bruce buffer say shit because bruce bruce just said the sh shit Bruce yeah. has never said shit on the show ever. Oh, my God. That's the first shit. I think I've got 13 F-bombs, but that's the right. first uh, shot. C congrats oh. on your first shit there, Buff. Hey, you know what? All I'm doing is looking at John's shirt, thinking one more sleep. I'm looking at my shirt and saying millions.co, and I'm thinking how much I love millions, how much I love John Anik, and how much I love that shirt, John. Yeah, and, yeah, it turned out well. I appreciate that, you know. Again, it's sort of weird uh, how it came together, but uh, as I was telling TJ earlier off the air, uh, you know, one more sleep sort of been a calling card. I, I, I started saying it on social media and then I said it after a weigh-in, uh, walking off the stage and it kind of stuck, you know, like when I was at ESPN, I would close every show by saying, don't text and drive. And my late boss, Anthony Mormile was like, dude, you should use that every show. Um, but for one more sleep, I was walking into a hotel in Glendale, Arizona for a pay-per-view earlier this year. And these dudes started chanting one more sleep and my wheels started churning. And uh, yeah, thanks to Bruce and millions, we got some merch and uh, we're off and running. I, I thought uh, maybe it's because you have three kids and you always need one more sleep. You just don't have the energy. Part of it too. It's funny you say that, TJ, because th that's definitely another audience out there. Like when I go pick up my school, my kids at school, that's they see the one more sleep gear and that's their association. So I think there's another market out there. for. There you it. go. I'm, oh, I'm on board. One more nap. I need that. Yeah, one more right, nap. Exactly. Yeah, there's a whole market for it. Well, listen, everybody watching and listening, you want to go to millions.co. 
You want to check out John Anik, One More Sleep, be part of John Anik's crew. Mine, I've got, of course, uh, the It's Time shirts, but this is the Buff Life shirt, right? It's Time, circa 1996. That's the first time I walked in the octagon. Millions.co, check it out. We've got athletes from all over the world, every single sport you can possibly imagine, plus Rams cheerleaders. Um, I know Brittany Palmer's talking to them. We're going to make shirts with her artwork on them, the whole bit. And um, it's great. But one more sleep. Check it out. John Anik. That's the name of the game. Join the Anik team. Okay. Let's uh, let's talk about Valentina Shevchenko. She says she wants to fight till she's 50. I believe she will be able to. I, she is just probably in my 25 plus year history in the octagon and the sport of MMA. This is the most devastating female fighter flyweight along with Amanda Nunes that I have ever seen in my life. She is a machine. And when she turned it on to turn it off, it was over. It's like, okay, let's finish. Right. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, we could spend 20 minutes on Valentina Shevchenko. She's probably the closest thing we have to Tom Brady in MMA in terms of her desire yeah. to compete as long as humanly possible, because this is what she loves to do. And she knows no other life than the sacrificial life of a martial artist. So right. she's so conditioned to making all of these sacrifices and she has found a comfort zone uh, in terms of her you know, work-life balance that she very much is aspirational to compete into her 50s. Uh, you know, like you say 50, it's like, I don't think she'll stop until, you know, her body gives out. It's crazy to think about what she could accomplish if she really does compete into, let's say, her 40s. I think the question is going to become, um, can we develop 125-pound challengers? You know, can the uh, you know, Macy Barbers and Miranda Mavericks of the world start to develop and really produce a legitimate challenge. If you look at Miranda Maverick, you know, she's very young. Um, yeah. But how long is it going to take her to, you know, be competitive against Valentina? If you asked her right now, how competitive is she against Valentina? She'd probably tell you she's ready, but probably isn't, you know? So, right. or does Valentina, um, you know, move up to 35 and do the trilogy with Amanda? And there are just so many hurdles to get that fight signed. Um, but yeah, it's Valentina's world right now. We're just living in Brucey. You know, I'll tell you one thing. If Valentina fights Amanda Nunes at 135, I know the cyborg uh fights, you know, was big with Amanda. I know the Rousey fight with Holly and others were big, but I honestly think that'll be the biggest female fight we could ever have. So TJ, I think that's an interesting disclaimer by Buff, because I'm not so sure. And I think that's a big part of the question. It, do the UFC's internal metrics suggest that a trilogy fight between Shevchenko and Nunez in a series in which Nunez is up 2-0 on paper, even though a lot of us felt like Valentina won the second fight, is it big enough, right, to entice Amanda enough? To no. No, probably not. It's not. I mean, I probably hate to not. say that. I wish it was because if you're looking at a, a pure sporting you know, sense that's the fight to make. She's earned that fight. Uh, unfortunately, the history, you know, signifies that no, it's it's probably not what is next. Uh, being up two zero, and also too, just from a metric standpoint, it doesn't headline a pay per view. It should, but it just doesn't. Um, well, you got to combine it with another fight, really? you know. But I, I see what John's I, saying. I don't think I don't Amanda. Think I don't think Amanda might accept it. I don't think she might accept it. Well, I there are a couple things with Amanda. Obviously, monetarily, they could make it worth her while, and for Valentina too. You know, there's some navigation there, you know, moving her body up ideally to 100 and 
41 pounds so as to cut down or whatever. No, I mean, I don't know what she walks at right now, but for Valentina, she would want to make a concerted six month commitment. I would think to put on muscle mass and add the size, you know? Um, so, and I, I don't think there's necessarily as big a monetary component with Valentina. And then with Amanda, how many times does she want to cut down to 135 pounds the rest of her career? You know, her next title defense might be one of her toughest against Juliana Pena, who Valentina beat in a blink in a main yeah. event in Kansas City back in the day, right? So if you're asking me how many more cuts to Bantamweight does Amanda Nunes have? I don't think that many, two or three. So there are a yeah. lot of variables. Um, yeah. And for Amanda, because she's up 2-0, does she want to put that part of her legacy on the line and give Valentina that opportunity? Um, my instincts tell me no. I mean, that's a great question. You know, what what is the sort of emphasis and, and impetus for someone like Nunes to do it? But I will say this on the, on the tip of uh, Valentina Shevchenko and also po pose this question to both of you guys because I feel like we're seeing it to a certain extent. Um, Shevchenko fighting into her, you know, late 40s, 50s if she wants to do it. I feel like she's the athlete to do it. But I also feel like the window for women is a little bit longer than it is for men. And I don't know if it's necessarily because we see some women not really get into mixed martial arts until their 30s. Uh, but, but that window does seem to be exceedingly longer than their male counterparts. I think it's a great point. You look at somebody like Marion Renault, who got a late start and competed in the UFC until she was 44, I believe. Mm -hmm. The question beckons for Valentina. I know she keeps herself in great shape, leans into all the recovery stuff, but, you know, she's been mixing the martial arts for, you know, 20 plus years, right? She's been doing martial arts since she was three years old or five years old. So uh, I don't know. I don't know how her body is going to hold up, but um, I just really hope that we can round out the division. Um, and again, promotionally speaking, right? You're talking to a play-by-play -play guy that got excited to call Shevchenko versus Andrade. Uh, and the fight was not competitive. And TJ and Bruce, we were told that Valentina was sick as a dog going into that Andrade yeah. title defense back in April of this year. And in our fighter meeting, I'll tell your audience only, she looked white as a ghost. I mean, yeah. like she looked ill. Yeah. And look at how she disposed of the number one contender. So, yeah. you know, I, it's uh, it's going to be it's going to be on the UFC to try to develop some of this talent and to uh, find the fighter that we're not thinking of to, uh, to really challenge her. She's a beast. And with that being said, let's go on to the featherweight title match, or should I say Rocky won. Um, wow. Honestly, John, uh, my listen, I'm friends with Ortega. He has the heart of a champion. He didn't make the fight. We can go through all the drama here. The third round, one of the greatest rounds, I think, in the history of, of fights inside the octagon. The fight question is, should it have been stopped is going to be a key question on my conversation with you today. It wasn't stopped. It turned out to be great. I don't like seeing Brian take that kind of punishment as he did with Holloway and now taking it again. But bonus given or not, that fight was unbelievable. unbelievable. I'm still reeling. Yeah, I'm still reeling three or four days later. Uh, I don't think any of us like seeing T-City take that type of damage. And I can assure you with how how twisted that whole referee ringside physician conversation was that if this was a non-championship affair, that fight would have been stopped. And, yeah. you know, I've said on your airwaves before, you know, this is how boxers get really hurt um, sometimes fatally. And we're not going to know how damaged Ortega is uh, for years to come. For years. Right? I mean, yeah, it's a fractured orbital and he wants to get back on the horse. Um, and he's certainly one of the best fighters in the world, but he has taken a significant amount of damage in these two title shots. And, um, yeah. 
this is not a recipe for career longevity. So should the fight have been stopped? I really think it's a hard one, especially for the Henner Gracies of the world in the corner, right? Because your guy gets a championship opportunity and it puts you in a really difficult spot, uh, especially when he comes back and wins the fifth round. I think people are leaning too much into the fact that he won the fifth round because largely I think that's neither here nor there. Volkanovski didn't need to win the fifth round. Right. But that just fuels those who think the fight should not have been stopped because Brian was still competitive, even though he was probably ground out. You know, I think the answer as to whether the fight should have been stopped will probably play out of the next two to three Brian Ortega fights. And if Ortega doesn't find himself back in the championship mix, then people are going to say, depending on how he doesn't win those fights, if he's stopped or anything like that, they're going to say, well, you know, it goes back to that Volkanovsky fight. But the bottom line was that was one of the, the most insane fights I've ever seen in UFC championship history. Most insane fights. And also too, the, you know, the bench is so thick and uh, at the featherweight division, Brian's, you know, back on maybe a year plus before he even gets a chance for a title fight. I do not see a rematch happening here. Obviously, the broken orbital is going to keep him out for three to six months. Uh, and Volkanovski is going to definitely have to fight again. Who's his next opponent, John? So it's interesting, right? So you have this fight between Max Holloway and Yair Rodriguez on November 13th. Yeah. And I think if that fight were to fall apart again for any reason, uh, then you would have Max Holloway and Volkanovski in a trilogy. And if, if I'm Alexander Volkanovski, that's the fight that I am pursuing right now to get clarity, to get finality. The second fight between Volkanovski and Holloway was close, right? I'd have to watch it back honestly, because of the time that has elapsed to tell you who I thought won it. Um, but Volkanovsky is an absolute warrior and absolutely needs to be celebrated after this win. I mean, look at his wins list, right? Holloway twice, Jose Aldo, Chad Mendez, you add a Brian Ortega. It's absolutely incredible what he has done. Certainly if Yair Rodriguez beats Holloway, I think that would be the fight that you would make. But now you have a calendar issue, right? Because that fight's not happening till November. When does Volkanovsky want to defend the title? Um, but let me just say this about Volkanovsky, right? He had a point to prove because, well, for more reasons than one, you're the champion, you're always the hunted. But, you know, there was a lot of noise that Holloway should, was the uncrowned champion. So Volkanovsky had a point to prove. And it's not just the toughness, it's, it's his technical ability to get out of these submissions. But offensively, look what he accomplished in this fight offensively right um he was already you know top five pound for pound um but now when i talk about volko and i talk about him as being one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world like i really believe it with every ounce of my being you know i absolutely agree with you and you know it's great listen australia is going crazy in my email and and I bet. direct messaging has been going off the hook from the fans in australia loving the fact that alexander won i like alexander I love him in his post interview. I love his honesty and his humbleness that he says I was gurgling. I was ready to go. I don't even know how so many words, how I made it out of that. It was one of the most dramatic moments I've ever seen in our sport that could have turned around where Brian could have been crowned champion at that given moment, proving the beauty of mixed martial arts. And it doesn't matter how it can turn at any, any second. So this fight had every bit of drama, every bit of everything you could possibly put into it. I never like to see fighters get hurt. I know you mentioned that, John. TJ, I know you the same way. But the entertainment value we got out of it was tremendous. I just hope that the longevity of Brian Ortega continues because you cannot fight like this every time. You just can't.
Yeah, no. And he's not going to be fighting for the belt anytime soon. And I think his, his next fight, uh, whether it's a five round main event title eliminator type fight or what, uh, to TJ's point, it's going to be very telling. Um, but he's a tremendously skilled individual, uh, has every bit of that Los Angeles breaded toughness that you could possibly want. Right. I mean, the heart is just, I can't even relate to it, you know? Um, but again, the visuals at the end of round three, TJ, right, with him laying on the canvas, you know, I mean, it's like some of these doctors and referees, and I say this with all due respect to your friend Herb Dean, right? Some of these referees and doctors don't give a shit about, um, you know, that the fans want the fight to continue or that the, there's a belt on the line, you know, fighter safety is always at the beginning of their absolute forefront. And I think that it's just a very difficult ask you know, to, to have a referee in a championship fight, you know, you know, do what a lot of us perceive to be right. I don't even know where I stand on this particular stoppage, but I just think, uh, I don't know, man, you know, this ain't going to do nothing for Brian long-term Bruce. This is concerning. I mean, that's, real quick, that's how, how important was it that Brian was basically prone in his corner at the end of round three, if he wasn't in his corner, that'd have been real bad. Yeah. That's a fair point. Yeah. I just, I, you know, I didn't, I, it's like he wasn't the doctor wasn't getting the responses he was looking for no. and yet the fight continued so what are, yeah. what are we doing exactly you know exactly um, exactly so is it and you know and and some say oh maybe it's going to take a, a fatality to affect change you know <laughs> um i don't even know no not on my shift not on your shift not on any shift i don't want to see it happen i'd rather be the first one to go before a fighter like i've always said it's tough Right there. Let me yeah. let me let me get that that notice if it ever happens in the future. I, I will All say this real quick too, though. Uh, if you look at fights from ten years ago and look at fights today, cuts don't stop fights anymore. And no. I think you know we're starting to see uh, concussive blows uh, also really not stop fights the way that they used to. Uh, well, at least at least it's not boxing where you get hit, you fall down, you get a ten count to stand up, only to get hit again and fall down. You know, at least when we recognize it, right. Barring the controversy over this fight we're talking about, it's stopped in time. So it, it's still safer, I guess, than than boxing at the end of the day, which to in me, respect I guess to the is, fight. Yeah. Not know. in respect to the training. Sure. No, I agree. I fight. agree with that. I mean, training is a whole nother situation altogether. I think actually Where training most, practices have gotten a lot better over the last 10, 15 years, but uh you're right. Exactly. All right, great night of fights. Uh we got an interesting night coming up uh this weekend. I'll be back. John, are you here this weekend? I am not. I'll be back October 9th for uh, Mackenzie Dern's first main event. John Anik, would you like to stay over and go to the Raider game with me on October 10th? Wow. Um, I'm yeah, announcing I mean, again on sounds, October 10th. We yeah, can talk no, about it. Uh, yeah, we I got people. That sounds uh, very appealing. Yeah, I got people standing in line that want to go. Even uh, our buddy Zach, <laughs> Zach Andino. It's like, I'd love to take Zach too. But if you stayed over, you know, that could be a weekend. We can enjoy the Raider game. Man, you're speaking my language. Okay. By the way, yes. as we're on the top of the Raider game, they're three and zero now. First time in 19 years. Yep. Um, I'm having a tuxedo made with the Raider logo on the back. I'm waiting to get the okay on that looks incredible, but as superstitious as teams go, they don't want me to wear anything other than that outfit. I've been wearing for the last two appearances as we move Where did forward. That directive come from. Can I ask that as far as to not change your suit? The guy, my my man, Justin, who, who's the head of it, is like, they're also tickle pink with everything. And then he's like, yeah, I'll see if I can get the okay for the jacket. Then after the win, he's like, I don't know. We may need to just keep you in the same, that jacket, which I was going to wear every game anyway. 
there's superstition. So who knows how it'll you, fall? You, we'll you, see. You need to benefit from that superstition. So if they're still undefeated when that happens and then you do the announcement and they win again, you need to say, well, clearly you need to employ me for every home game. Yeah, until I'm already. No, that's done. Oh, so it's every home game. Oh, yeah. No, I if I if I can make they want me every game. They want me all the way through to the Super Bowl in 2024. The reaction's been Perfect. tremendous. Perfect. No, I'm the Raider guy now. And I'm not that because my Eagles are, are playing like shite, but they are playing like shite. So I think I got to enjoy my Raiderdom right now. Sorry, Philadelphia. I'm still always my heart is with you. But my God, you know, get some defense. What's going on here? Well, and how could you not root for the Raiders in the AFC, given your alignment with the franchise now? I mean, I exactly. know you're an L.A. guy, but you never rooted for the California teams because of your Philadelphia, Philadelphia roots, right. obviously. So it's not like you ever, like, rooted for the Rams, you know? So no. the Raiders should be your team, you know? Yeah. No, Rams, you didn't the call. Eagles Raiders, shit, you shit did. aren't going anywhere. What's that? Respectfully, I don't think your Philadelphia Eagles are going anywhere. I mean, they I'm have a lot of talent, but a lot of it's young. Yeah, a lot of it's young. They got to regroup the team. And my heart will always be with them. Let me say that for public note. I love Philadelphia. I love the Philadelphia Eagles. I love the Phillies, you know, the Flyers, the whole nine yards. But the bottom line is um, I'm having a great time with the Raiders. Uh, it's been incredible. The reaction has been incredible. I can't begin to tell you the feeling of being in front of 70,000 or more people doing oh, what yeah. I do. It's it's amazing. And if you go with me, John, you'll get the feel. You'll be right there beside me. It's it's, it's very, Kitty and I went and we just it, it was incredible. And then um, when she and I were sitting in our suite, you're going to love this. Two suites to the right is Dan Marino. I sent you this. Yes. Four minutes left, left in the game. They're down, what, 10, 11 points, whatever it yep. was. He left. And two minutes later, they're tied in one of the greatest games of the season so far. As part owner or whatever, all respect to Dan Marino. I'm a huge fan of Dan Marino. But my gosh, you don't get up and leave, right? You, you fight to the end. Am I wrong? Well, I mean, I have a historically awful, awful story about leaving a game early, Bruce, right? I mean, when Adam Venateri made the kick in the snow that led to the New England Patriots oh my God. Super Bowl championship, this came after the famed tuck roll fumble from Tom Brady, right? So I'm a Patriots fan in the building in the snow, and Tom Brady fumbles the football. Oh, so I fucking get up and go to my car. And then I hear this big roar. I go racing back to the stadium to try to get back in the building because the call got overturned and they wouldn't let me back in the building. So I can appreciate Dan Marino wanting to beat the traffic and not for nothing. I watched that whole game buff. Miami had no business being like, I know some people say, oh, Dolphins plus four and a half. If you had lost that bet, it would have been a bad beat. Like, oh, I don't know, man. I didn't feel like Miami had any chance to win. So I'm going to pardon uh, the Hall of Famer, Dan Marino. I understand people want to pile on him, but uh, I don't know. Um, I'll give him a pardon, too. It was just quite fun to be there and to see him get up and leave. Yeah, like, yeah. This team's still lost, so. <laughs> All good. All right, a few other things happening in sports. Um, by the way, let's give it to uh, the Raiders. Let's give it to the Rams. Who else is undefeated this season, John? The Denver Broncos, although they have fought the thought. They have beaten – the laughing stock of the NFL, essentially, right? The Giants, right. the Jets, and the Jaguars. So, um, but you know, I believe in Denver a little bit. You know, I uh, Teddy Bridgewater, man, has just exceeded all of my expectations. So, Broncos are still undefeated. Um, I don't think the Rams have lost a football game, so they look probably like the best team on paper right now. Yeah, um, but we'll good. see. I mean, obviously, all of us in New England are uh, getting primed for Sunday night football as Tom Brady returns to Foxborough 
to take on the Pats. And I think the Buccaneers are going to smoke New England, but I'm hoping Belichick can pull something out of his ass this weekend. We'll see. Well, one thing that's always true is when Tom Brady takes a defeat like he took last weekend, he notoriously comes out like a bat out of hell the next week. Team and everything. You know, get that coaching together, figure it all out. But you're, you're going against Belichick. You're going against New England, and you're in New England. Can't wait for that for a lot of reasons, which I know you share the same sentiments for. Let's talk about John uh, Jones. Uh, John Jones called me last week after I appeared for the Raiders. Haven't spoke to him in a year. We had a wonderful 15-minute conversation. Humble as can be. You know, God bless all this stuff. Uh, really proud of my career and it was so exciting to see me on the, on the uh, stadium. You interview him for 45 minutes on Friday night. He goes to the hall of fame. Four hours later, he's arrested for domestic abuse, which has now come out. And I'm not trying to cast any aspersion. I'm just talking facts An assault on his wife. You know, she was found with the bloody lip, the bloody shirt, the blood in the bed, the kid and her down at the, at the uh, hotel lobby and the kids saying, can you call the police? Not good stuff. He gets arrested, headbutts the car, sends chips of paint up from the car, and supposedly even says something the effect of taking on the officers. Alcohol is a very bad thing for John. There's a lot of demons there. God knows what else, if anything else, was involved with the situation. But this is so disturbing on so many levels. I'm going to say one last thing before any comments from you. This is an athlete like Conor McGregor that could have gone on to make hundreds of millions, if not close to a billion dollars in his career. Yep. He made his 20, 30 estimated, whatever it is with the UFC. It's a tragic situation to see such a potential role model and probably still the greatest, the greatest MMA fighter ever um, skill wise set wise to walk in as a, as a goat in the octagon, but yet to have all this happen. It's like go 10 steps forward and 20 steps back, you know, and. Oh, yeah, it is really profoundly sad and crazy when you think about the hundreds of millions of dollars that he has left on the table, you know, that could have uh, provided for generations to come. Um, but that is a small part of this whole issue. You know, I will say John Jones one-on-one -on -one is just unbelievable. Like yes. such a good dude, right? Like, yes. so Buff referenced my 45 minute chat with him. And this was just backstage while Kevin Randleman's widow, I believe was speaking, accepting the hall of fame induction on his behalf. We're just in the back talking, Bruce. His cell phone's nowhere to be found. He's looking you in the eye the whole time. He's totally engaged, asking about my kids, asking about how the job is and what it's like working for Dana and all that stuff, asking about television. Um, and then six hours later, obviously, he turns it up and, uh, yeah. you know, gets himself in trouble yet again. It's really sad. You know, the family was in great spirits all night. His fiance. Jesse was welling up with tears as he was accepting the induction. He killed the speech. Everybody was excited for him back at heavyweight. Such um, a lovely woman she is. Thing, okay. Like I don't drink very often, right? I'm a cannabis guy. I don't drink a lot of alcohol. Okay. But when I do drink, like I get like sloppy, right. And you know, I get focused on the opposite sex, right? Some people get angry, right. And if you're synergizing another substance with the alcohol, then who knows? And you know, obviously, whatever he's doing is um, having a really bad effect on his decision making late in these evenings and early in these mornings. And obviously, when the kids are involved, you know, um, as his kids get older, right, Google and daddy, you know, like it's uh, it's tough stuff, you know. Um, so I don't know, man. Horrible thing for a child to witness whatever level of domestic abuse happens between their mom and dad. It's just a, a, just the thought of that is is. Even for kids seeing verbal abuse, right? Yes. Even for the few times where maybe I don't talk to my wife in the way that I should. They yeah. shouldn't see that, you know? Right. Agreed. So. 
Agreed. Enough said on that. I hope the demons nice get out. I'm going to be nice, nice to my wife tonight. I wasn't. Really <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> Sounds perfect. Listen, one thing and last thing on John Jones, if you want to get away from the arrest, he's a 250 pounds. He's slowly been going up in weight for a year now, working the muscle, working everything to become a heavyweight. I can't wait to see him fight at a heavyweight. We just don't need this shite. You know, he doesn't need it either. So let's see how this develops and how the UFC handles it, because obviously they got to wait and see the legal ramifications of what he what is involved here. And it that, seems as though his fiance ever by his side was, you know, trying to already help him. You know, I yeah. mean, once a domestic violence situation is in the hands of the law, I can tell you from experience, not my own, but of people who are very close to me, you know, sometimes it depends what county you're in and how the history of that county has been in terms of domestic, but you really don't know exactly how this is going to play out for John. Um, but, you know, he's not looking at extended jail time. And, um, you know, to those who think that this is the last straw um, and want it to be, um, I think they're going to be surprised that he is is back, you know, sooner than they think. But um, it's sad. It's just a sad. It's situation. sad. I'm sure the UFC would do everything they can to make that happen. Another sad situation that's been ongoing for years from a past MMA fighter who fought in the UFC Jason Mayhem Miller was arrested again for felony domestic abuse, resisting arrest. Um, at this point now, with all his things that have happened to him, uh, he's probably going to wind up in jail on this one. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, I think, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, it's another uh, good dude, another guy who's great one on one, but just can't uh, seem to get out of his own way, you know? And for him, obviously, you know, once the, uh, the charges and the arrests start to pile up, obviously the leash gets shorter when it comes to the judges and all that stuff, you know? So. Exactly. Um, Floyd Mayweather open to fighting Oscar De La Hoya. Once of more than a million to hundred million dollars with all these exhibition fights going on, this one wouldn't be an exhibition, obviously being a professional level. Does that interest you to see Floyd and Oscar go at it at this uh, belated age? And also uh, Manny Pacquiao announced today he's done with boxing. He's not going to box anymore. So I got into mixed martial arts because I hosted a boxing radio show, essentially. So I covered so much of Manny Pacquiao's prime and so many of the smaller fights of his career I was in the building for. And just what a class act and what a legend. And Very much. You know, I was a Mayweather guy. So like Pacquiao was never my favorite fighter, uh, but you can see why I guess Marco Antonio Barrera and Bernard Hopkins were really the guys for me, but you can see oh, why yeah. Pacquiao was like everybody's favorite fi fighter because of his yeah. style. So I covered De La Hoya Mayweather when it actually mattered. So I don't know if that heightens my appetite to see them do it again, or if it lessens it. Right. I think because I covered the first one, you know, Part of me has a little bit of an appetite for the rematch, but I don't right. know what that fight's doing for anybody. That that would appear to be a very one-sided meeting in 2021. All it's doing for anybody is lining their pockets with money. D doesn't John Anik own, like, the ugliest money team hat on the planet? <laughs> yeah, there it is. The ugliest one on the planet. Let me see it. I can't see John. Terrible looking. Looks terrible. good on him, but terrible when it's not terrible. on him. Money, 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 money. Oh, my God. Look at that thing. Jeez. Money. It looks like the, the Ninja Turtles. Yeah, exactly. Look at that. Look at that. But wow. I got it in Mexican colors. You see? Yes, oh, is that Mexican what that is? Color. Okay. Yeah, I like that. That's better. Yes, That's better. Yes, yes. That's better. Hey, guys. Tyron Woodley got his finger tattooed. I love Jake Paul. I think he's going to have to enjoy the tattoo because I do not see that fight happening again. Man of his word. TJ probably doesn't want to hear this, but it's like, for those out there, I love tattoo bets, okay? I've done four of them in my life. If you are doing a tattoo bet, design it 
design the premise around a tattoo that you want or that you would be okay having on your right. body for the rest of your life. Like yeah. tattoo bets are great, but like, why would anyone do a tattoo bet for something like I love Jake Paul and have to look down at that for, right? Like, you don't think my 209 tattoo has aged gracefully, right? Like I can't, I love looking down at this fucking thing. Yeah. It's aged gracefully, but every time Tyron picks his nose, he's going to see, I love Jake Paul going in for Terrible. the kill. I Terrible. don't get it. Yeah. There yeah, are but ways to creatively do a tattoo bet um, and it, without having it be something that you regret. Like real quick, Bruce, the first tattoo bet I ever did was if Betch Cohea beat Ronda Rousey, I was going to get the Brazilian flag tattooed on my inner forearm. And at that point, I'd been to Brazil 24 times. That nation holds a tremendous place in my heart, right? So I didn't expect Ronda to lose to Betch, you know, but had she, like I would have been okay having the Brazilian flag tattooed on me. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. I think that was a very safe bet. <laughs> yeah, but so was Nate Diaz to lose to Conor McGregor. It really yeah. was. I mean, the, you know, we did Usman Masvidal too. you know, the game bread tattoo bet that appeared safe to people. There's always risk, though, you know. Always risk. I know you're a Michael Jordan fan. And they just auctioned off a very important uh, piece of garment he wears. His underwear? It, yeah, his underwear went for three thousand, almost $3,000. The final bid at twenty seven eighty four for his underwear. How about that? Well, let me tell you, I'm not a, I'm not a Michael Jordan fan. I'm a Larry Bird fan and I'm a Kobe Bryant fan. So there you uh, go. But Michael Jordan's the greatest of all time. Best yes. two way play, player ever. Sure. For sure. I'm a Kevin yeah. Garnett fan. You're welcome, Boston. Well, and there you, you know go. what, TJ, uh, you talk about good human beings that resonate with that city like Kevin Garnett is getting his number five retired and he didn't spend that many years in Boston. Right. And they're running out of numbers in Boston. He deserves that so much man he made such an impact on that city and uh if if you were ever going to retire a number for a guy who was only there for like four or five years that's the guy i'm really happy that they had the stones to to do that you know minnesota Absolutely. the backbone behind so many boston championships you got the celtics you got uh, yeah. david ortiz and the red Sox. you're welcome you're welcome boston. awesome two more things real quick on the collectible end abe lincoln's death certificate um, is going up for sale. They figure the asking price will be four hundred twenty-five thousand. That sounds very reasonable. See, that's cheaper than I would think. Like, I would I mean, think that's so too. super historic. I mean, I don't know what the the historical collectible market is like, but but that'd be something that that'd be the masterpiece of many collections. I would think. I would think so. There's so much drama around that death certificate, obviously for obvious reasons. And another thing too, my UFC two fifty seven Conor McGregor Dustin Poirier cards. Just set a record in my sales of my handheld octagon cards. The actual Poirier McGregor card, the single card sold for $3,800. Wow. And the rest of the cards in the set sold for $1,274. It came out to about $5,500, breaking the record for a previous set, which was the Amanda Nunes um, Cyborg set that sold for almost uh, 40, it sold for $4,800. Which is what so, Dan, Dan Lambert paid all that, didn't he? Dan Lambert bought the uh, card for 4200 while okay. other people bought other stuff. In this case, this was not Dan Lambert. This was another buyer. So they just set a new record, 5500 for a set of cards. It's great. It's crazy. No, I mean, that's a great souvenir. There's nothing like that in terms of, of a souvenir, right? A handheld announcer card, you know? Yeah. it's. I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to blow my own horn. It's just I know it's a one of a kind, you know? Yeah. And, and oh, yeah. The collect collecting industry is so big out there. And that's why John, as we always talk, everything you write, all your production cards, money, money, money. Don't throw those things away. I have a fighter card library right behind me of, of, I think over 5,000 handwritten cards or something. It's crazy. When you're ready, I got the man for you. My man who does this, I'll set you all up. 
Yeah. I mean, for me, it's a little uh, tricky, right? Because I need the information. So I have to figure out a digital system. Yeah. We talked about that. And, uh, but we'll get there. We'll get there. So who else, last story before we sign off, who owns a, a Roomba? You know, those. Automatic- I have one. Well, they just came out one now that has some, whatever that term is, knowledge, AI knowledge in it, that it will avoid smearing dog poop all over your house. Because the problem with the Roomba is that when it hit dog That's poop, That's a real thing. Poop. Let me tell you, that is yeah. a real thing. It's not a fun thing either. Well, now you got a new one. It avoids oh, the dog way. poop. It, wow. It's bad. It's bad. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I had it prior to having dogs, and then the dog did the thing, and we weren't home, and... Yeah, it was a a whole Man. piece of art. All right, everybody. I want to thank my. I want to thank a sponsor real quick before we sign off. FanDuel. Everybody, check out FanDuel for your betting on sports, fantasy sports, the whole bit. Um, my ambassadorship with FanDuel is continuing. Puncher's Chance just came out in uh, Alabama and Pennsylvania, selling through the roof. And you know where it sells? One of the biggest markets we have is Florida, John, where you live, and it's time energy. Big hit in the UK after being released on Amazon. We'll be here in the States within the next couple months. So things are rocking and rolling on my end. Uh, and things are rocking and rolling on our end. So let me hear about John Anik. What's going on with you, Johnny? Nothing about me. Just parting note on a UFC athlete to show you how quickly it can happen, right? Chris Dock is UFC heavyweight. He is 4-0 and in the UFC with as many knockouts, right? Rumblings that he might get a main event against Derek the Black Beast yeah. Lewis. And I said on the broadcast this weekend, right? That Chris said last week before he knocked out Shamil Abdurahimov and looked even better than he had in his previous fight. He said he wants to go down as the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time. And I brought it up on the broadcast and DC kind of laughed a little bit because he's just getting going. You know, he devoted 10 years of his life to being a cop. Right Now he's training full time and look at him now. And it just speaks to the power of self-belief, you know, because Stipe Miocic, when he when he got knocked out by Stefan Struve in a main event in Nottingham, England in 2012, no one thought he was going to go down and be the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time. So why not Dawkins? I don't know. That's inspired me. Um, so I don't know. My, well, you my, know, my kicker today is Dawkins, not a plug of the Anakin Florian podcast. I'm very happy you brought him up because I had a note here to talk about him because there was a couple people I wanted to you know, say that did great on the show. Dawkins, you know, Philadelphia boy. Get him on. It's time. I mean, he's from Philly. Yeah, no, I think it's a great idea. You know, I'll definitely just, does Felder know how to get a hold of him? Or of course. I'll, I, I got you. As yeah, long as you I would love to have him on. Idea. I'd love to have him on. I even said after he won, I go Philadelphia, baby. And he had a big smile on his face yeah, and, you yeah. know, it was, it was great, but he yeah, doesn't what root a performance. for the Raiders buff. I'm like you, he doesn't root for them. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes a lot of money cuts a lot of family ties. Uh-huh. <laughs> just kind of kidding <laughs> tj what's up uh what's going on thursday i'm going to cancun uh on ufc fight pass we've got uh, the debut of medusa which is all women's uh submission grappling event it's combat jiu-jitsu and ebi rules check that out and then on sunday it is combat jiu-jitsu worlds the middleweights i believe uh 16 man one night tournament with uh slap fighting essentially is eddie bravo oh. hates it when we call that but it's it's, yeah. it's a good time down in cancun very hey, very Bruce. cool One quick thing. Um, If you go to UFC.com right now, um, they sort of did an embedded style uh, feature last week. I had a camera crew with me the whole time. Followed me to my room. TJ might enjoy seeing me do my voiceovers in my room um, and my inability to keep my body quiet. Um, But it's like an eight minute video on UFC.com. It's International Fight Week with John Anik and uh, all sorts of behind the scenes stuff from the Hall of Fame. Um, 
And I think it's probably uh, in this day and age in which people enjoy behind the scenes content. It's a good inside look at what my fight week entailed. So if you want to check that out at UFC.com, a lot of people worked hard to put that together. Our remote just- remote voiceover is the worst, John. Like, I, I hate doing them. Like, I always worry about my neighbors being, like, ornery with me. And when I do it at home, I do it in my car. And then people freak out because... I'm acting like a lunatic in my driveway. It's yeah. it's the worst. I can't tell you how many times there will be a fighter filming me like outside the room and then I'll finish my voiceovers and I'll go on social media and they're filming. Yeah. Um, right. That's, well, that's why you try to be a one or two take guy. Otherwise, you really upset the neighbors. I just brought it up under videos on USC.com and I'm going to watch this after my interview uh, while I'm working. Thanks, my man. I appreciate that. And check it out. Absolutely. I don't want to miss this. All right, everybody, I'll see you from the Octagon on Saturday. Uh, what do we have here? Saturday. Johnny Walker, Tiago Santos back. That's going to be fun. Oh, right? yeah. Great. Yeah, meeting. Kevin Holland, Kyle Dawkins. That's going to be fun. The card's actually quite deep. So, What is? Yeah, the card's very deep. Uh, yeah, Misha Serkinov, Christoph Jocko, Olivera's back, back Nico Price. Yep. Yeah, and yep. that's not a typical fight night card by any means. Yeah. You mentioned Bech Cohea. She's back fighting, Carol Rosa. Besko Hayes fighting this weekend in the UFC, huh? Yeah, Besko oh. Hayes fighting Carol Rosa in the Bantamweight in the prelims. How about that? How about that? Okay, I cool. I got my I'm eyes excited. on that Ace Aspen Lad Macy Shasson fight. Um, you know? Yeah. I don't that, know. I'm oh, sort of like hyper focused on like the women at 25 and 35 right now to see what's going to play out because uh, I'm like obsessed with this Valentina Shevchenko. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Man. I'm obsessed with her too. You know, it was so nice when she was walking out and she didn't have to, but she broke away from the crowd and she came over and gave me a big hug. Yeah. That meant so much to me. The respect from fighters man. after their wars. It's awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me, boys. Always good to chop it up with you guys. TJ, great to see you. Buff, my man. I will see you, uh, I guess, middle of October. Abu Dhabi's right around the corner too. So. Yeah, and then we got New York the next week, right? Yeah, yeah I think I I think I'm going to see you guys in New York. Well, awesome. I'll be there. I don't know if I'll see you. I didn't see either of you in Vegas. No, well, I, New York can I, be different. I'm surprised we didn't cross paths when I came back up there to do the post-fight show. But um, hopefully in New York City, we can we can shake hands. Too. That'd be fun. Yeah. I'm going to come all the way back to L.A. Assume you're going back to Florida and then back to New York. Right, Sean? No, I'm staying the whole time. Oh, you are? Yeah, I can't do that. I got to get back. Okay, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your videos coming in on Cameo, your Cameo orders, your orders for BruceBuffer.com. You are keeping me very, very, very busy, and I'm loving every single minute of it. I uh, will see you from the Octagon on Saturday night, and have a great week. John, love you, brother. Always great to have you on the show, and I'm, I'm kind of bummed that we were not going to see each other for a few weeks, but we'll be talking. We'll be talking. Love you, boys. Thanks for having me, and uh, we'll be watching this weekend. Love you too, John. Love you too. TJ, much love, my brother, my producer. And everybody, set your goals. Write them down. Learn about everything you need to know about. So when you step on that golden path to your future, you be the best you can be. Whether you're first, second, third champion, you name it. If you perform at your best, then you're winning. And that's what we're all about in this time radio. And that's what all about I am in my life. It's about being the best you can be, winning, and being a role model to your sphere of influence. With that note, have a great week. I'll see you next week. Buffer out.